Well, if you've got a copy of God's Word, I want you to turn with me to two passages this morning. Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. Joshua 1, verse 8. And then turn over several books to 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 3. Joshua 1, verse 8. And then 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 3. A little over 10 years ago, Gallup did a survey to discover what 21st century teens use to define success. And so they ask all these teenagers, how would you define success? And as you can imagine, they came up with a variety of answers. But the number one answer given among teenagers 10 years ago was, well, success is found in being happy and being content. This is what one of them said. They said a person is successful when they are happy with their life and, and who they are. It doesn't matter how much money they make, where they live, or what kind of car they drive. The number two answer was accomplishing your goals. If you want to be successful, then the key to being successful is accomplishing your goals. And another teenager said this. They said people's goals are different. But as long as they reach that goal, I think they are successful. Now, right after happiness and contentment and and then reaching your goals, the third answer given for success was finding a good job. But then after that, there were other answers given, like, like having a family. That was the fourth answer. Following God's will was the fifth answer. Making lots of money, that was the sixth answer given. Working hard was the seventh answer. And then being educated was the eighth top answer. Now, when I read those answers given by teenagers 10 years ago, I I thought to myself that, that their answers would be very similar to many of our answers today. The truth of the matter is, if I ask you in a private poll what your definition of success is, we would get a lot of different answers. You see, some of us equate success with a job. Others of us equate success with an income and still others of us equate success with with some status that we maintain or that we have but but what does it really mean to be a success? And once we discover what it means to be a success how can we attain success? In 1988 John Wooden wrote a book entitled, They Call Me Coach. It was one of the first leadership books I ever bought. John Wooden was the coach at UCLA. He won 10 national championships in basketball in 12 years. He won seven national championships in a row. Now you would call that success. And in his book, They Call Me Coach, he had in that book, what he called his success pyramid. And his success pyramid consisted of 15 characteristics that he said, if you had these in your life, then you would be a success. And then wouldn't define success. This is how he defines success. He says success is peace of mind, which is a direct result of self-satisfaction in knowing you did your best. So so success is peace of mind, which is a direct result of self-satisfaction in knowing you did your best, 
that you're capable of, of doing. And so that's what he says success is. Success is, is the peace of mind that comes when you know that you did the very best that you're capable of doing. About 20 years ago, John Maxwell, who is a leadership guru, wrote a book called The Success Journey. And in that book, he said success is not a, a destination that we arrive at. Success is a journey that we take. And then John Maxwell defines success this way. He says success is knowing your purpose in life, growing to reach your maximum potential, and then sowing seeds to benefit others. Those are two good definitions. But I want you to know this morning that the key to success is, is not found in a book that John Wooden wrote. The key to success is not found in a leadership book that John Maxwell wrote. The key to success is not going to be found in any other good self-help book that is out there. The key to success is found in God's Word. I want you to listen to what it says in Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. Joshua said this. He says, study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so that you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. Now, did you get that? Joshua said, it's only then that you will prosper. It is only then that you will be a success in life. No matter what else you do, no matter what else you learn, you will never be successful, Joshua says, until you study God's Word and then you commit to obey God's Word. Now listen to what it says in 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 3. In 1 Kings chapter 2, it says this, Do what the Lord your God commands. Follow His teachings. Obey everything written in the law of Moses. Then you will be a success, no matter what you do or where you go. No matter what you do, where you go, no matter what happens in your life, we are told that if we will obey God's Word, we will be a success. Now that's why it is vital for each and every one of us, not just our graduates that we're honoring today, but it's vital for each and every one of us to make a commitment to regularly and systematically get into God's Word. Why? Because God's Word is key to your success. Now let me give you my definition of success. You may want to write this down. Success is finding God's will for your life and then giving your all to fulfill that will. Success is finding God's will for your life. And then giving your all to fulfill that will. And understand, you are never going to know God's will apart from God's word. And so this morning, what I want to do is, is give you my pyramid of success. 
that I believe comes straight out of God's Word. And if you apply these principles to your life and you will live by them as you live in and obey God's Word, then you will discover God's will and you will be successful in life. Now the first one is the foundation and I want you to write it down on the bottom of your pyramid. If you want to be a success in life, you must first of all know your Creator. You will never be a success apart from that. The Bible begins with these words, in the beginning, God. Before there was anything, when there was nothing, there was God. And then in the midst of this nothingness, God began to create everything. And for six days, God created. On the sixth day, God began to create animals. But after God created every animal, God did something unique. God did something different that he had never done before. He made man. He made mankind. He made us. Listen, you need to understand this morning that you are not the result of blind chance. You are not some random process. The Bible says that you are fearfully and wonderfully made by a creator. And if you know that and understand that, it will make all the difference in the world. You're not simply the result of chance. You were not just some biological soup that, that was formed over millions and billions of years and, and you exist for a while and, and then you cease to exist. No, you're much more than that. You were made by a creator and that says something. It says that you have a purpose. You have a reason for existing. But the Bible goes further than that. The Bible tells us that, that God did something when he made us that was unlike anything he had done before. In Genesis chapter 1 verse 26, God is speaking. The triune God is speaking. And he says, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. The Living Bible says, let's make someone like ourselves. The triune God is speaking and, and as he speaks and as he communicates with himself, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, God says, now we're going to do something different. We're going to do something unique. We are going to make mankind and we're going to make man in our image. Now think about that for just a moment. God made us like himself. The Bible doesn't say that about any other part of creation. No animal was made in the image of God. No spiritual being was made in the image, the likeness of God. Only mankind. Now what does that mean? And why did God do it? Yesterday, Saturday, my wife and I drove to Greenville. Our son who was getting married this next Saturday, his fiance was having a bridal lunch. And so I drove with Sherry to this bridal lunch. And as, as the girls and the ladies were doing their girly stuff, 
Matthew and I were sitting at another table and we were eating, doing man stuff, and we were talking. And as I was sitting across the table from him and listening to him speak, I thought to myself, wow, he's a lot like me. And then I thought about all of our four children. And even though each of them are unique, each of them are different, when I look at them, each and every one of them contain a part of me. When I look at them, when I listen to them, when I interact with them, I know they are mine because I, I see a little of myself in them. And, and I don't know all that it means when it says that God created us in His image and, and in His likeness, but what I do know is this. God created us like Himself. And God created us to be a part of His family, to live in relationship with Him. And here's what I know. Until you are living in relationship with your Creator, nothing else will ever truly fit together. There will always be something missing. No matter what you achieve, no matter what you attain, no matter who you love, something will be missing if you don't know your Creator. You were created by God. And you were created for God. In Colossians 1.16 it says, All things were created by Him and for Him. Another translation says it this way, Everything got started in Him and finds its purpose in Him. You were created by God and for God. He created you for a relationship. He created you so that you could know Him and so that He could know you and you will never be fulfilled apart from that. But listen, knowing God and knowing about God are two totally different things. In our American culture today, I believe that we are in trouble because we know so much about God. God is just a part of our life. I mean, He is as part of our life as baseball and apple pie. I mean, even when we pledge allegiance to the flag, we say that we're one nation under God. We sing, God bless America. I mean, God's a part of our existence. And, and because of that, most of us know about God, and that leads to the problem. We know about Him, but we don't know Him. You see, knowing about God requires head knowledge. It, it requires intellect. It requires a knowledge of facts. But knowing God requires heart knowledge. It requires intimacy. It requires a relationship. That's why the Apostle Paul said in Romans 10, 9, and 10 that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is your Lord, your Master, and you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. You see, relationship doesn't come because we know facts. Relationship comes when those facts 
facts somehow, some way, make their way mysteriously into our heart, and that changes everything. You see, if you want to be a success in life, it's not enough to know about the Creator. It's not enough to know the facts. You've got to know Him. You've got to be intimate with Him. So the foundation is know your Creator. The second step is this. You need to discover your purpose. Someone said it like this. If you don't discover your purpose, you're likely to spend your life doing the wrong thing. Think about that. If you don't discover your purpose, you're likely to spend your life doing the wrong thing. Now God desires for each and every one of us to know Him and have a relationship with Him, but He also has a specific plan and purpose for each of us. Viktor Frankl said everyone has his own specific vocation or mission in life. Have you ever looked at someone and said they were made for fill in the blank? I mean, you hear them sing and you think they were made to sing. You watch them play baseball or basketball or football and you think they were made to play this sport. You go and see a surgeon and and they operate on someone you love and you think to yourself, this person was made to do this. You see, God made each and every one of us to do certain things. We are uniquely gifted by God for a specific purpose. Listen to what the Bible says about Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. It says, the Lord gave me this message. I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart, and I appointed you as my prophet to the nations. Did you hear that? God said, before you were born, even before that, before you were formed in your mother's womb, I knew you. And I already had a purpose for you. And your purpose was to be my prophet to the nations. Now I want you to hear me. If God had a purpose for Jeremiah before he was ever even born, then God has a purpose for you. Later on in Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 9, Jeremiah wrote this. He said, but if I say, I'll never mention the Lord or speak in His name. In other words, I, if I say I'm not going to fulfill my role as a prophet, His word burns in my heart like a fire. It's like a fire in my bones. I'm worn out trying to hold it in. I can't do it. In other words, what Jeremiah is saying is this. God formed me. God made me to be a prophet. And if I'm not being a prophet, well, I've got to be a prophet. Because if I'm not, His word is burning up inside of me, making me miserable. I can't contain it. You see, this is why some of you are so miserable in your job. You've settled for a job rather than discovering your purpose in life. 
And when you discover your God-given purpose, you're never going to have to go to work another day in your life. Doesn't mean you won't have to work, but you're not going to have to go to work because work is going to be a joy. Work is going to be a pleasure. Work is going to rock your world because it's what you were created to do. You were created for a purpose. There are times when that purpose may be difficult. There are times when that purpose may be painful. But it's what you were created to do. And it is the only thing that is going to bring joy and happiness and fulfillment in your life. You've got to discover your purpose. How do you discover your purpose? Well, you start with God's Word. And then you look at your gifts. You look at your abilities. You look at your heart's desires. Solomon told parents this. He said, train up a child in the way they should go. And when they're old, they'll not depart from that way. And, and, and for years, many of us used that verse to say, if I teach my children to love Jesus, when they're old, they'll still love Jesus. But that's not what that verse is actually teaching the word that is the Hebrew word translated the way they should go is literally a word that means the nature of its bent. It, it describes the natural bend in a tree. And, and what Solomon is saying is, as parents, it's part of our responsibility to help our children find that, that natural bent that they were created to go into. And help them discover that bent. And, and help them fulfill that bent. And when they do, they'll never depart from it. They won't jump from job to job and vocation to vocation and thing to thing. Because, man, they're going to be doing what they were created to do. Discover your purpose. The third thing is this. Once we know our creator and discover our purpose, we develop our skills. Last night I was watching the NBA playoffs, and, and um, I love Steph Curry. He's one of my favorite basketball players, and I mean, he's just such an incredible shooter, but he's also just an incredible ball handler. And last night, he made this move, and, and I mean, just left the defensive guy just standing there. And they started talking about it, the... The sportscasters were talking about it and, and how he had practiced that. And it went to a clip where he was practicing with one of his coaches this, this crazy move that you would, you would think that it was just made up on the cuff. But it wasn't. It was something that he practiced and he practiced and he practiced. You see, some of us have this idea that if we're naturally good at something, and we all are naturally good at something then that's all it takes. But the Bible says that we also have to make the commitment to continually develop our skills. Solomon said it this way in Ecclesiastes 10.10. He said, if the axe is dull, its edge is unsharpened, more strength is needed, but skill brings success. In other words, what Solomon is saying there is, is you can cut wood with a dull axe, and you may can get the wood cut. 
But it's going to take a whole lot of work. But if you skill and you sharpen the axe, you're going to have better results and it's going to be easier. You need, see, we need to be continually sharpening our skills. Years ago, we were looking for a student pastor, not in this church, but another church. I was, it was early in my ministry, and, and as we're going through resumes, I was talking to a seasoned pastor, and, and so many of the resumes of these student pastors had these student pastors that were two years here, and then they were two years here, and then they were two years here, and it seemed like every two years they were moving to a new place. And, and I said to the seasoned pastor, man, why do they do this? And the seasoned pastor said this. He said it's because they have a two-year bag of tricks. And when they've used up their two-year bag of tricks, they have to go somewhere else to use their tricks all over again. And I thought to myself, wow, that's sad. But it's true. So many people get their repertoire down for for their two-year bag of tricks. I, I know how to do this successfully. I know how to do this effectively for two years. But when two years are up, that's all I've learned. And so I'm going to have to find somewhere else to do this for another two years. And they never continue to grow. I don't know about you, but when I go to a doctor, I don't want to go to a doctor that's my age, 57 years old, that graduated from medical school when they're 25, 26, 27, and they quit learning. I mean, that was a long time ago. I mean, I understand there are some things that when you learn it, you learn it, but goodness gracious, there are diseases they didn't have back then. And so when I go to the doctor, I don't want them to pull out their 40-year-old bag of tricks. I want to go to a doctor that is continually honing their skills. Because that is the secret to success. So we have to make a commitment to develop our skills. Here's the fourth thing. We need to listen to advice. Proverbs 15 verse 22 says, Plans go wrong with too few counselors. Many counselors bring success. It's the foolish person that thinks they have all the answers. I got news for you. You don't. You, you see, some of us are so full of ourselves that we don't have room for anyone else to pour into our lives. Whenever I have an important decision to make, I always seek advice and counsel. There are decisions that I make where I don't. Those are the no-brainers. But on those that are difficult decisions or they're impactful decisions, I always seek godly counsel. Now, is it because I doubt my ability? Is it because I question whether I'm able to hear from God? No. I, I don't question my ability. And I don't question my, my ability to hear from God. But I know that wisdom comes from many counselors. And I know this, if everyone I go to has a different opinion on what I should do than what I want to do, then I better listen to those counselors 
Or I might need to find some new counselors. Because one or the other is true. I either have bad counselors in my life and I don't need to be listening to them. Or I don't need to do what I think I'm going to do because all of my counselors are going against what I've said. Some of us talk to counselors and a counselor tells us something and we don't like what that counselor says so we go to another counselor and we don't like what that counselor says and we go to another counselor and we don't like what that counselor says and we go and we go and we go until we find someone who will agree with us and then we say, well, listen to the counselors. Seek advice. Five, work hard. The Bible says it over and over. Proverbs 24, 23 says, Hard work always pays off. Proverbs 12, verse 14 says, Hard work brings reward. Colin Powell said this. He said, A dream doesn't become reality through magic. It takes sweat, determination, and hard work. Jesse Owens the first person to break the, the four-minute mile said this, we all have dreams, but in order to make dreams come into reality, it takes an awful lot of determination, dedication, self-discipline, and effort. I love how Zig Ziglar, the motivational speaker, put it. He said, a king went to his wise men and said, go and accumulate all the wisdom from the centuries and write it down. And the wise men came back to him and, and there were 12 volumes. And he said, take these 12 volumes and condense it to one book. And they condensed it. And then he said, take this one book and condense it into a paragraph. And they condensed it. And then he said, take this one paragraph and condense it into a sentence. And they condensed it. And you know what they came up with? There's no such thing as a free lunch. <laughs> and that's true. You, you see, we all want success without hard work. But it's never going to come. So work hard. And then finally... Be resilient. B.C. Forbes said this. He said, history has demonstrated that the most notable winners usually encountered heartbreaking obstacles before they triumphed. They finally won because they refused to become discouraged by their defeats. Have you ever felt like quitting? Have you ever felt like giving up, throwing in the towel? I mean, if you haven't, then it's probably because you've never tried something hard. If you've ever tried something that was hard, probably those thoughts have gone through your mind. I can't do this. It's not worth it. I need to quit. But the people who are successful refuse to give in to those thoughts. Colonel Sanders went to more than 1,000 places to try and sell his chicken recipe before he found a buyer. Thomas Edison tried almost 10,000 times before he successfully made the light bulb. Albert Einstein flunked courses in math. Albert Einstein. Henry Ford was broke 
at age 40. Vince Lombardi was a line coach at Fordham University at 43 years of age. One of the most revered coaches of all time. The original business plan for, for what has become Federal Express was a flunking grade in business school. Flunking grade. Sylvester Stallone was turned down a thousand times. He was down to $600 in his pocket when someone finally said they would produce the movie Rocky. Walt Disney was turned down 302 times before he finally got financing for Disneyland. 302 times. Irving Stone, who spent a lifetime studying greatness, He's written biographies of great artists and inventors and scientists and historians said this. He said, I write about people who sometimes in their life have a vision or dream of something that should be accomplished and they go to work. They are beaten over the head, they are knocked down, they are vilified, and for years they get nowhere. But every time they're knocked down, they stand up. You cannot destroy these people. And at the end of their lives, they've accomplished some modest part of what they set out to do. Ray Kroc, who was the founder of McDonald's, I believe said it best when it comes to resilience. He said, nothing in this world can take the place of persistence, resilience. Talent will not. Nothing is more common than unsuccessful men with great talent. Genius will not. Unrewarded genius is almost a proverb. Education will not. The world is full of educated derelicts. Persistence, determination, and love are omnipotent. Dolly Parton, who is one of the greatest country musicians of all time, said this. She said, I have never stopped trying, and I never tried stopping. Resilience. You see, the secret to success is simple. It begins with knowing your Creator. Not knowing about Him, but knowing Him. From there, we, we discover our purpose. We sharpen our skills. We develop resist, resilience. We never quit. We keep on going. And if we do these things, we will be successful. And we can come to the end of our life and we can look in the mirror and we can say, I gave it my all. And that's all I had. And we can feel good about what we've done. And here's the thing. No matter how young we are, we're not too young to start. And no matter how old we are, we're not too old to start. So wherever we are, in our age or stage of life, we need to make the commitment right here, right now, to say from here on out, I'm going to obey God's Word, and I'm going to live my life in a way so that at the end of my life, I can look in the mirror 
and say, I have discovered God's will and I've given my all to accomplishing that. I want you to bow your head with me. With your head bowed and with your eyes closed, I want to ask you a question. And this question is the most important. Do you know the Creator? Do you know Him? Not do you know about Him? Not have you heard about Him? No, do you know Him? Have you humbled yourself before Almighty God? Acknowledging your sins, your rebellion, your need for Him. Have you surrendered your life to Him to the point that He has revealed Himself to you and you know Him as Savior and you know Him as Lord? Well, if you're here and you don't know the Creator, then I want to encourage you this morning. Give Him your life. Give Him your heart. Begin to live for what you were created to live for. If you don't know the Creator and you want to, I want to encourage you to pray this prayer right here, right now. Dear God, I come to you this morning knowing I need you. I know something is missing in my life. I've tried to fill it with status, things, with people, position. At the end of the day, I've still been empty. Today, I realize what's missing. I need you. So, Father, today, I humbly ask you to forgive me. Forgive me for living life my way. Forgive me for acting as if I was God. I know you love me. I believe that your son died on the cross, rose from the grave, so that I could be in relationship with you. Today I'm trusting you to save me. Come into my life. Come into my heart. And make me brand new. Thank you for hearing me. Thank you for saving me. Amen.